it was an accident. I'm not an entrepreneur. I was happy working in a uh, larger structure. But at some point, uh, I got lucky because I was working at Charles Schwab. They had big problems. And this was early, mid-95, when they let me go with a big severance, which also happened at IBM. And I was able to enter the emerging uh, dot-com industry in San Francisco in early, mid-95, which couldn't have been a better time. I got involved with uh, people doing good work. Most importantly, I got my first contracting gig at uh, Bank of America, at first building up their website and then helping build home banking. I was really lucky. And my roles in all the above were pretty minor as a contractor, but my deal is really just that by accident, I've been in the right uh, time and place. My successes over the last 20 or 30 years has uh, been by accident, and that makes me the Forrest Gump of the internet. The Forrest Gump of the internet. Someone who, by luck more than skill, just happens to constantly find himself in the right place at the right time, and as a result, good things seem to happen. Is that possible? Could a hugely successful household brand be created almost completely by accident and luck? Well, it can, according to the story of this episode's guest. His name is Craig Newmark, and as you might have already guessed, he's the founder of Craigslist. Are you ready to hear the story? Let's get dialed in. Hello and welcome to Webmasters. I'm Aaron Dinan, your host. I'm a serial entrepreneur and I teach entrepreneurship at Duke University. You're listening to the podcast about entrepreneurship and internet history. We learn about those things by talking with some of the internet's most impactful innovators. And on this episode, we've got an interesting example in part because the gentleman we're talking with claims to not be one of those impactful innovators. He's someone who was just in the right place at the right time, or so he tells us. He's Craig Newmark, founder of Craigslist, and we're going to find out how it happened right after we find out a little more about this podcast's sponsor. Webmasters is being brought to you with help and support from our sponsor, Latona's. Latona's is a boutique mergers and acquisitions broker. They help people buy and sell cash flow positive internet businesses and digital assets. That includes things like content websites, domain portfolios, Amazon FBAs, Shopify stores, SaaS apps, and all sorts of other types of online work from anywhere internet businesses. If you're currently running one of those and thinking about selling it, you should be talking with Latona's. Their team of expert brokers can help you get your business sold for a great price. Or if you're interested in buying an internet business, why not talk with Latona's too? They've always got tons of internet businesses they're helping to sell. In fact, you can see them all listed on their website. It's latonas.com. That's L-A-T-O-N-A-S.com. As I was preparing for my conversation with this episode's guest, Craig Newmark, I couldn't help but think about how impactful he's been on my life. 
Inadvertently, obviously, uh, but thanks to Craig and Craigslist, I actually met my wife. We didn't meet on Craigslist, per se, but I found the apartment I was living in at the time when I did meet her, thanks to Craigslist, and I met my wife because she was friends with one of my neighbors. In other words, if I hadn't moved into that specific apartment, which I found on Craigslist, I probably never would have met my wife. So, yeah, I owe a lot to Craig, and I'm pretty sure I'm not alone. I've heard uh, a lot of stories along those lines, and like people finding a place to live, a job, a table. And this is what happens with uh, Craigslist. Uh, Bad actors try to magnify uh, problems because there's money in that. But uh, Craigslist has made the lives easier, as far as I could tell, for tens or conceivably hundreds of millions of Americans. No one knows. And I feel pretty good about that. So let's talk about the question at the core of this episode, which is how the heck does a website that's helped hundreds of millions of people get started and become so incredibly successful basically by accident? To find out, let's start by finding out a little more about how Craig first got interested in computers. I uh, started using computers in a very limited way in 1969. My uh, high school, during my junior year, got an old IBM 1620, and I taught myself how to program it in Fortran 2 using punch cards. Uh, That was the start. It did predate anything Internet-related, but not as long as people think. When I went to college, early 70s, This is Case Tech, Case Western Reserve, Cleveland. They had a system which was on the ARPANET very early. And I kind of got what it was about. I did a little email, but for my purposes, it was still way early. But that prepared me, I guess, emotionally and intellectually for what would come. So I started working with computers over 50 years ago. And uh, as I think it through, the more things change, the more they stay the same. How so? Can you maybe give an example? Um, The terminology has changed. Multiprocessors are the norm now when they were really uh, an exotic phenomenon in the early 70s. In the early 70s, people were beginning to talk about object-oriented programming, where it now appears to be the norm. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It creates a bit of a warped sense of time. For example, the internet turns out to be a lot older than people realize, while the World Wide Web is actually a lot younger, even though people tend to think of the two things as interchangeable. Since you were on the early internet, can you describe a bit what it was like pre-web? Pre-web for me, basically I was using an early uh, virtual community called The Well, Um, I was also using Usenet uh, newsgroups. And at some point, I was starting to get into email in a big way. This was uh, early 90s sometime when I was at IBM. But then when I left and worked for Charles Schwab in 94, say, I was going around the uh, company on the technology side and a little on the marketing side saying, here's how we're going to do business someday. And that uh, proved to be uh, fairly good. I even wound up speaking with legal because I uh, was validating their decisions 
that they should register domains to prevent uh, people with uh, bad intentions of using them. For example, they really needed to, uh, to register charlesschwab.com and perhaps they should uh, register charlesschwabsucks.com. And so that proved to be a pretty good decision. Uh, so a lot of things were happening uh, starting uh, back then. And did they listen to you or did they just think you were the crazy guy who'd been reading too many sci-fi novels? At Charles Schwab, it apparently accelerated the uh, use of the web significantly, in particular because I worked with a guy in marketing over there. Uh, I think his name was Alan Nathan. And also I was working with a guy who did uh, IT infrastructure named Darius Maluski. He was the guy who put in the first web server and the first uh, browsers in the company. And that really accelerated things. So how did that work at Charles Schwab Legiatorn launching Craigslist or did it? Well, just after, as I was leaving Charles Schwab, I started thinking that a lot of people helped me out, you know, settling into San Francisco thinking about that. And after I left Schwab, I was thinking at least I could tell people about stuff that I heard about, which might be fun. And that really meant arts events, technology events, and what's better, events that combine both. So I uh, started a simple uh, CC list, a copy list, and started sending things to 10 to maybe a dozen people I knew. They said, hey, this is good. They started sharing it with people where they worked. More people wanted to be on the list and just uh, started growing. Sometime in the middle of 95, um, when the mailing list hit about 240 people, I realized I needed to uh, give the thing a name. It needed to use a list server and, you know, lists need names. I was going to call it San Francisco Events since as a nerd, I'm very literal. But people around me told me I had inadvertently created a brand. They called it Craigslist. They explained to me what a brand is, and that made sense. And by putting my name in it, that indicated a commitment to keep it personal and uh, for real. And uh, they were right. And so uh, it continued in that vein. And even now, though, people ask me, why did I name it Craigslist? And the answer is, I didn't name it Craigslist. Okay, the internet named it Craigslist. That's one of the better naming stories I've heard, actually. Uh, so you were sending out these emails to people, and what? It just grows through word of mouth? Uh, how did you decide what to put in this email, and how did other people hear about it? You know, people were telling me about events that might be uh, fun. Let's say launch parties, since that was a big thing. Uh, in 95, at the very very beginning of the whole dot-com industry. And I gave something a smell test and then put it on there. If I was invited to something which was a closed party, then I wouldn't put it on there. Meanwhile, people were asking me to do different things, like uh, job posting, maybe something to sell. And I said, hey, uh, apartments are starting to get hard to find in San Francisco. So if anyone hears about an apartment opening, Please uh, tell me about it. And again, things just kept growing, uh, all uh, word of mouth. The company once tried uh, a couple ads in uh, HR magazines, I think two ads total, in 2000. 
Uh, they didn't work. Doing advertising is just not Craigslist style. So it was the briefest blip in the history. At what point do you realize it needs to be turned into a website and then eventually a business? Well, it just was growing and growing using word of mouth. And then sometime, I think in mid or late, mid or late 96, I remembered that I'm a programmer running in a Linux or Unix environment. I can write code to turn emails into web pages. So I had instant free web publishing. And that worked out pretty well. And I kept running it that way for a couple of years. Whenever a specific task would take another hour a day, I would usually find some way to write some code that uh, took that hour down to, let's say, five minutes. And that was pretty tolerable. So I was lucky in that I was writing my own code. Demands were small at that time. Databases were small then. So I could just keep plugging away for some time. And I remember even the uh, end of uh, 97 was getting only a uh, million page views per month, which back then was very small, but uh, undemanding. Back then also, though, the people who posted jobs on the site wanted to pay me to put jobs on the site. And for that matter, uh, volunteers wanted to help run the site. So in 98, in fact, uh, we experimented with charging job posters, ran with volunteer help, and saw what would happen. And uh, one lesson is that uh, running with uh, volunteers doesn't work. Another lesson, if someone like Microsoft Sidewalk, which doesn't exist now, wants to run banner ads on your site, well, I dislike mostly all banner ads. and. I didn't need the extra money. In Sunday school, Mr. and Mrs. Levin helped me understand and know when enough is enough. And so we just, uh, uh, in 98, ran with volunteers experimenting with uh, charging job posters. This was not successful. And at the end of 98, people told me that I needed to get serious and turn this into a company. Uh, They were right. The biggest decision I had to make was uh, how much to monetize. But like I say, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Levin in Sunday school said, no one enough is enough. I decided to monetize minimally and we maintain that tradition. That's why uh, Craigslist is a fairly modest company as opposed to a big multi-billion dollar deal because you should know when enough is enough. Could you maybe help me unpack that enough is enough philosophy? It's obviously very different from most approaches to entrepreneurship. Everyone needs to decide what they need to be happy. Uh, Material possessions or spiritual considerations, everyone needs to decide for themselves. I believe in what I sometimes call nerd values, make enough to live comfortably maybe to help your friends and family live comfortably. And after that, it's more satisfying to uh, make a difference in the world. Now, by accident, by doing uh, well, I've done uh, more than that. As a result, I have a fair amount of money to give away. I'm no major funder, 
but I am giving money away, mostly these days in efforts to help uh, protect the country and democracy in general. I look to history and see that people risked a great deal more. They risked a lot more to try to do uh, something good for the country. And uh, so what I'm doing isn't that big a deal. Maybe the message is that I'm actually uh, doing it rather than just talking about doing it. Just to maybe push back on that a bit, couldn't we also argue that if you had more, you could do more? For example, I've got lots of young entrepreneurs who pitch me their companies, and at the ends of their pitches, they're always so proud of themselves when they tell me they're going to donate all their profits to charity. When I hear that, I think, why the heck are you going to do that? If you donate all your profits to charity, you're not going to be able to grow your company, and so you're not actually going to be able to do as much good in the world as you could had you focused on making your business as successful as possible. A person has to work through all those considerations for themselves. For example, if you're building a company and you know, you're trying to do the right thing in some regards, you're creating jobs. And giving people jobs is a big deal. Beyond that, often good intentions, people have difficulty following through with those good intentions. Like there's this uh, billionaire's pledge going around. And even though I'm no billionaire, I compare myself vis-a-vis uh, -vis the billionaire's pledge. And I'm already giving away 50 to 60% of my net worth, looking at means by which I might be giving away more. And I figure I'm doing it in a way, getting it to people who can offer force multipliers, as the military say, getting it to people who are really good at something, and then using a certain amount of cash in a much bigger way to both generate more cash, but to do a good job of whatever they're doing. That can be difficult because in the US, there's a very, very large number of nonprofits, and of them, very few are actually good at doing something. And so it's important to find uh, people who are good at something. I work in the veterans and military family space, and there's over 40,000 charities registered uh, to do that kind of work. And I uh, work with Bob Woodruff Foundation and the Got Your Six Network. They've found and vetted 400 groups out of the 40,000 who's actually good at doing something. It's interesting to hear Craig say this because it points to a problem I've seen a lot in my university's social entrepreneurship program. We'll have students who launch amazing social ventures to address important cultural and societal issues, but in doing so, they often ignore the existence of dozens, sometimes even hundreds of other organizations doing the exact same things. And what I try to remind them is that by launching their ventures, they might be hurting their own cause by actually making the competition for funding and resources more competitive. In other words, if they really cared about the cause they're trying to solve, wouldn't they be more effective by trying to help someone else address it rather than starting something new? What's happening, of course, is that the people who'd rather start something new are often more interested in the perceived status of building slash creating slash operating an organization than actually accomplishing that organization's goals. In contrast, Craig Newmark appears to be someone who is entirely uninterested in that kind of status. 
in 2000, when I made Craigslist into a business, by the end of 2000, I realized that as a manager, I suck. And I got someone else to be uh, the manager, the CEO. I went into full-time customer service and I'm a great customer service rep and I'm a better customer service rep than the degree to which I suck as a manager. Wow. So you didn't want to lead Craigslist? That's, you know, that's not really something I've encountered before from a founder. Out of curiosity, how involved were you with the company after you brought someone else in to be the CEO? I was still seriously involved with uh, Craigslist until a few years ago. My deal is that I uh, agreed with the new CEO that um, I would interfere. I uh, would not be a pain in the butt, basically. He would make all the management decisions. He would exert all the influence. Maybe I'd step in if there was an emergency, but I just had to let go. And uh, that's what I did. I let go and I might make the gentlest of suggestions, like uh, in the wording of uh, t-shirts, but I let go. And that's worked out pretty well. Well, yeah, I'd, I'd definitely say so. Uh, and what do you attribute that success to? Uh, the priority is to do something uh, useful and effective for our community. And of course, that meant the design principles were uh, simple and fast, which are uh, unfashionable. It's uh, always been unfashionable to actually listen to your customers and to respond in turn. Wired Magazine was very critical of that one year uh, because uh, people want fancy design without wondering if that serves people better. So the deal is that uh, serve people well, uh, do what makes sense, and watch out because there are people who will uh, take issue for serving people well and for sticking with the design that's effective, particularly as people seek to uh, manufacture culture wars and are just looking for something to argue about. Uh, that's a good point. I, I mean, I, I realize Craigslist is known for its, uh, let's call it, simple design and interface but I never considered that, of course, design has cost. So, you know, lots of updated fancy new designs would come back as costs to your users. So does that mean Craigslist old-fashioned design and business models are actually intentional decisions? I guess the best part is just uh, staying true to what I call nerd values or the Sunday school values I learned from Mr. and Mrs. Levin. Because back in early 99, when I had to make a decision about monetizing things and VCs and bankers wanted to throw uh, billions at me, I remembered to know when enough is enough and uh, said that, no, we'll, we'll be okay with this uh, minimal monetization. Um, that was uh, a tough decision because it goes against the grain of the culture around me. You know, it almost seems like your approach to building startups is basically the exact antithesis of what just about every other successful company has done. Uh, by taking that approach that's really so different from a lot of other people, what would you say you've discovered or learned that maybe has surprised you and, and that the entrepreneurs listening to this should know? Um, 
I was largely surprised by seeing that people just want to get along and want to help each other out and are very tolerant of each other. We see a lot of the opposite in the news because that sells uh, newspapers. Uh, we, it's a lot of clickbait, but people are generally uh, looking out for each other. I also noticed that uh, people, whether it's small towns or uh, big towns, uh, people have generally the same interests and needs. Um, big towns are usually collections of villages and most everyone wants to get through the day. Uh, one difference is that people in big towns are often more frank about what they'll talk about because they often assume that whatever they want to talk about, there's somebody nearby who wants to talk about the same thing. And given the density of big towns, that's uh, normally true. So people are a lot more alike than we think they are. People are much more interested in getting along than you'd see in uh, some of the uh, less ethical newspapers. And those are some of the uh, big lessons that I learned. People are a lot more alike than they are different. And uh, despite what you've read or heard, most of us just want to get along with each other while going about our daily lives. That's what Craig Newmark learned by building and running Craigslist. And in general, I think that's a good PSA for the internet. So much of the conversation around the internet and specifically social media is about how it's ruining the world, how it's creating hyper-partisanship, and how everyone's at each other's throats. There's certainly some truth to that, but to be honest, we shouldn't really expect otherwise. When you have a platform serving billions of people, bad things are bound to happen. But in mass, and as Craig points out, the internet is overall a great place where people are constantly coming together to help other people. The results are often incredible. Heck, the results are sites like Craigslist, a massive online community of users sharing, trading, posting, buying, and generally helping other people find the things they need. Even if Craig wasn't some brilliant entrepreneurial mastermind planning all that when he first launched Craigslist, well, I guess the fact that the site has grown into what it's become is a testament to the inherent ability of the internet to help humans accomplish wonderful things. Oh, and speaking of wonderful things we have thanks in part to the randomness of the internet, you gotta love this podcast, right? At least I hope you do. And I hope you'll take a minute to tell other people by rating and reviewing it on your favorite podcasting app. Those reviews really help us grow and share these stories with more people. While you're there, make sure you subscribe to Webmasters so you get the next episode as soon as it's released. On that note, I'd like to thank Craig Newmark for taking the time to share his story with all of us. If you'd like to learn more about what he's up to now, especially his philanthropy work, you can find him on Twitter. He's at Craig Newmark. Webmasters is on Twitter, too. We're at Webmasters Pod. And I'm on Twitter at Aaron Dinan. That's A-A-R-O-N-D-I-N-I-N. Write to us and share any thoughts you have about the episode. You can also reach me on my website, AaronDinan.com. While you're there, you'll find lots of other content, articles, videos, etc. about startups and entrepreneurship. Before we wrap up, I want to give a quick thanks to our audio engineer, Ryan Higgs, for all his help pulling together this episode. 
And another thanks to our sponsor, Latona's, for their support. Remember, if you're interested in buying or selling an internet business, check out latonas.com. If you're interested in buying or selling just about anything else, you can check out Craigslist, I suppose, which I'll let you go to right now because this episode is over and it's time for me to sign off. Goodbye. <laughs>